This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Saints podcast, your weekly look at all things Saints FC. As is regularly the case, we'll catch up on all the goings-on over the past seven days, as well as looking ahead to what's around the corner. On this episode, that includes this weekend's game with Aston Villa, which ended in an incredibly frustrating and emotionally draining 1-0 loss. We'll also preview the next Premier League match for Saints, given they're coming thick and fast at the moment, which is Tuesday's trip to Old Trafford. Sandwiched in the middle of all that, we'll briefly touch on the latest FPL leagues, as it's been a while since we updated on those. And I'll get Dan, Steve and Glenn's thoughts and hopes on the imminently closing winter transfer window, including a lesser spotted transfer request. We're also pleased to have PA Media and Balanced Saints fan Simon Peach along for the journey tonight as well. Evening to all of you. Evening. 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 Feels like there's a lot of voices listening to me. I'm quite nervous tonight, especially uh, bearing in mind we've got everything to go through. But uh, Glenn, just starting with you then, um, obviously great to catch up with some of our patrons on Thursday evening, the VIP event covering a variety of things. Arsenal, thoughts on uh, Villa, Tommy Forecast, Lee Todd and much more. Another hopefully enjoyable uh, hour or so for everyone. Yeah, there were some grim names from the past when we were discussing the uh, worst transfers we've ever made, which is... Uh, Leads on nicely to our uh, the fact that we're in a transfer window and virtually at the last day of it. So uh, hopefully we won't sign anyone who we're talking about on the in a similar way. In a, talking in a, of, can I just ask? Did anyone see that Wesley who disaster class the other week? <laughs> I heard about Honestly, it. It was astonishing. Even by his standards, even even by the standards of Fulham away. Yeah, this was comfortably worse. Wow, um, it, his name ca- did come up in the conversation with the uh, with the page. Was that what you sent around, Dan? Where it said like Hoyt, the uh, defeat was my fault or something like that. Someone sent it around. That was Steve. That, that was me. Was yeah. Steve, there you go. Must so basically, game. he basically they lost uh, Lazio lost three two to Atalanta. He was culpable for 
two or three of the goals and gave away a penalty that they missed. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. I watched it and he plays alongside this guy that plays for Italy that is outstanding. And it basically, he's just <laughs> a Serbi and next to him is just this guy that was just giving away everything. So I don't, I can't, Dan will be able to tell us if it's an obligation or not, but I suspect, um, if it isn't an obligation, he might be returning. <laughs> I think that's what we're all expecting. And yeah, you'll be safe to know, Simon, that uh, amongst our patrons, given some of their worst ever Saints signings, uh, Wesley Hoyt, I think, was uh, very much on Glenn's list. And I think there was a few others that uh, were mentioned in that. But we should be kind, because obviously he's still one of our players, as you say. And uh, yeah, Dan, I mean, thanks obviously for being a, a part of that as well. I know uh, the patrons really enjoyed it. And before I get into any more football conversation, I think the uh, key question on everyone's lips this week, Dan, as part of our commitment to always be hard hitting with our content is... Uh, have you used your new uh, slow cooker yet? I haven't used it yet, no, Ben, sorry. It's still in the box. Is it? All right, we did a poll today, 50% said yes, 50% said no, so at least half of them were right. Exactly, that's Why it. is it still in the box? What's the excuse? Well, I've not moved house yet, so it, it, there's no point getting it out. I don't, it's because I'll have to repack it again, so no, it stays in the box until we move. Fair enough, fair enough. Peachy, you uh, strike me as a man that likes a good slow cooker meal. Uh, yes, I also had a rice cooker delivered to me today. Wow. So, um, How the other half very lives. exciting. It, it I... arrived about an hour ago. Very <laughs> exciting. Can I just say, for, because I mean, that, the slow cooker thing, I, I had a few messages <laughs> about that. And I had one good, good contact who texted and said, there's nothing wrong with having a slow cooker. They don't make you sad, they make you cool. Definitely. That, that made my day. So, you know, bring on, bring on the stick, but. There's a lot of love for the slow cooker out there. I, I don't remember I'm, I'm any slow cooker. I, I, I use it. It's great. Yeah, I was going to ask. I, I'm sure I saw you talking about uh, Spanish meatballs the other day or something, Steve. So, uh, yeah. yep. Yeah. All I, I would say, Dan, is you're too young to have a slow cooker. <laughs> I think that was more the joke, Dan. It was less about the slow cooker and more about you. Yeah, perhaps, maybe, <laughs> but 20, 24 going on 44. Exactly. He's exactly. still eligible for England under 21s, I think. <laughs> me, what, 26, really? Oh, is that what you are? Yeah. Right. You just yeah, didn't I'm have a couple of paper rounders, mate. Dear, dear. But, uh, but no, as we say, I appreciate uh, all of our patrons join. I know it's difficult with their uh, diaries and uh, global locations and all that sort of thing. So hopefully everyone had a good time and uh, yeah, obviously... Uh, as I say, Dan, do appreciate it. Let's get going for this week then. It feels like there's a heck of a lot to talk about. So underpinned by all of our global TSP patrons, this is TSP 147. This is the Total Saints Podcast. With Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. If everything was going for Saints pre-Christmas, then it seems to be the opposite now. A 1-0 loss at home to Aston Villa, compounded by some questionable on-and-off-field officiating, another blank in front of goal, and three more injuries. The definition of Lady Luck is chance personified as a controlling power in human affairs. From a Saints point of view, she was nowhere to be seen on Saturday evening. Dan, where do you start with a game like that? Because it felt like a 90 minutes that had just about everything. Oh, it was. If you wanted drama, then drama is what you got. It just didn't, wasn't in the way that Southampton fans would have been hoping for them. It was just an utter, utter shambles of officiating that night. But what's actually worse for me, and I'm sure I may be alone in thinking this, whereas you guys are all big supporters, the injuries for me was worse than the VAR. I just thought the injuries are just such a just such a killer blow when you've got Romeo coming back, you've got Redmond coming back, you've got these guys coming and then all of a sudden you lose Diallo, you lose Walcott, you lose Romeo again, maybe. 
it's just one step forward, two steps back. It seems every week at the moment, you know, a player nears his return, then has a minor setback, and it's just that all the time. VAR stuff, that's, well, I don't know what else can be said about that that hasn't already been said. It was just a disaster. I think Paddy Power even like refunded bets did, yep. on the the game because of this, the, the shambolic decisions made by Mike Dean at, at Stockley Park. I, I honestly don't know what to say about them. They were they were that bad. So, yeah, I'm sure I'd rather listen to you guys on this one. Right, let's cut straight to the chase then, Glenn, because I'm sure no one wants to listen to us rattle through all the positives. <laughs> um, OK, so should Saints have had a penalty early doors for the handball by Matty Cash, or did the officials between them, and I suppose trying to be as balanced as it can be here, dot, 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 make the right decision in the end? Right, well, he made his silhouette bigger. He moves his hand to the ball. It hits his hand. I couldn't see the brush on the thigh with any certainty, despite them slowing it down a hundred times. And Jamie Carragher agreed with me. He couldn't see the brush off the thigh either. Lee Mason doesn't even see the handball. That's the first sort of big problem. And then it goes to Mike, all about me, Dean, who... Loves a penalty can, normally. He, he does, and it, but he can categorically see that it, it smashed off his thigh and deflected. Well, if it did, it's a, it's a brush and he can't possibly tell that if he's looking at the same pictures that we're looking at, which we assume that he is. The ball didn't deflect. It just carried on on its normal path. If that's not a handball, we might as well not have the rule. And you might as well just allow defenders to catch it and run with it and play rugby because it's, it's just it's just pointless. We, you know, we've gone from one extreme to the other. Um, I mean, I always quote the Eric Dyer one when it hit him on the back of the arm when he wasn't even looking. And that got given as a penalty at the start of the season. Now we've got... I mean, that, that's a save. It, it, you know, if, the, if, if that had been Martinez saving that, everyone would have gone good save. He's reacted remarkably there to save that. that that's, for that not to be given as a, as a penalty in between. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a dream team, isn't it? Lee Mason and Mike Dean, for God's sake. I mean, just throw John Moss in there. I was going to say, yeah, he's uh, yeah. missing. Yeah, well, he would have been drag, on the halfway line. Drag Anti-Durso out of retirement as well. <laughs> yeah, well, jo- John Moss would have been on the halfway line puffing and blowing, wouldn't he? But um, uh, it's just... It's just beyond ridiculous, and it and it ruined the first half for me. I I kind of forgot what happened in between that incident and when Villa scored. There was kind of I know we had a lot of possession and well nothing win. happened. Yeah, yeah. So we, you, didn't, you didn't actually miss miss yeah. a lot in that period. It was it was weird. We were we were good, neat and tidy without actually doing anything. I, I mean, I th- I would imagine we actually had quite a lot of touches in their box, but they were just crowded crowding us out and. Armstrong didn't seem to be able to put a pass across. Um, Bertrand couldn't, couldn't put a ball into the box either, and yeah, it was just oh, just irritating. I know. I can imagine. Uh, I was going to say I can imagine the other referee that we always talk about, Peter Walton, going, "Oh, it's a definite penalty, definite penalty," and then, buddy, and nah, clearly not a penalty, clearly not a penalty, you know that sort of thing. But uh, there's obviously loads and loads of rules around about handballs these days. Uh, and Steve, I'm going to obviously ask your opinion on it as well. So I had a quick look around today, and uh, you know, I may not be getting the latest information, but it looked like it was September 2020, so I'm fairly confident. But a penalty should be awarded if the hand and arm is clearly away from the body and outside the body line. The player clearly leans into the path of the ball. The ball travels some distance. The ball touches a hand arm that is clearly raised above the shoulder. The player falls on the hand arm is extended laterally or vertically away from the body. A deflection clearly makes no difference to the ball touching a hand arm that is clearly extended away from the body and or above the shoulder. So I'd probably say it aligns to that last one. But should a penalty be given 
every time the ball hits a player's hand in the area question mark no the exceptions are if the ball hits a player's arm directly from the player's own head or body and if a player is falling and their arm is between themselves and the ground for support there is also room for interpretation as to what Jesus. makes a player's body unnaturally bigger so i think that clears it up for everyone um Steve, what I was going to say, I mean, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Glenn, did with the Eric Dyer one. I mean, we've gone from the start of the season for penalties being given for everything to pretty much nothing being given now. Oh, it's ludicrous. But the, And the problem is this this all comes back to um, either the Premier League or the professional game match officials limited, this nonsense uh, organisation managed by um, Mike Riley. Uh, Mike Riley, who, of course, was one of the most pathetic, weak-willed ref- referees of all time. <laughs> and basically, at the start of the season, they were the FA, the Premier League and PGMOL were told in no uncertain terms by both FIFA and UEFA that their basically, uh, in quotation marks, interpretation of both handball and the use of VAR in terms of the process were wrong. And that they were, and that they had to uh, fall in line with what everybody else was doing. Um, so that was what they did for the first three weeks. Um, everybody kicked off about it, and they rode back and decided, nope, we are going to do what we want. And this is the problem. This is the arrogance of the Premier League. This is the arrogance of referees in the Premier League that they know better than the people that make the rules. And let's let's bear in mind that half of the people that make the rules are from Britain. The board of IFAB is made up of eight people. Four representatives are from England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland and four from the rest of the world. Good knowledge. And yet we're the ones that are based. So we've we've decided the rules, uh, largely thanks to um, David Ellery and his um, his role as uh, schoolmaster. And yet we've decided, well, we're just going to disregard our disregard the rules that we've come up with here and just say, no, we'll we'll play it however we see fit and they say well we, we want to get more consistency in uh, decision making and, and make sure that everybody's on the same page how can you possibly do that when you're when you're allowing so, so many things to be open to interpretation i mean it also doesn't help that the, the individual referees are just awful i mean this this isn't a new thing this isn't a reactionary thing based on uh, based on last night this has been going on for good 10 years and i, 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 would, I would argue that um, the referees going full-time and professional has actually made it worse. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing, isn't it, Steve? You know, everyone talks about VAR, VAR doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. We all know that it's the humans behind it, the ones that, in inverted commas, yeah. don't work. The, the, the technology works, the concept works, but as with any sort of automated process, as soon as you introduce the human element into it, that's where the failure point is. And unfortunately, there are too many referees who are absolutely hopeless. I mean, you could probably count count on the count on the figures of one hand. The any referee that if you saw they were in charge of your game coming up in the Premier League, um, that you would say, okay, that that I'm, I'm not I've not got major objections to this. Which I mean, needless to say, is not a good place to be in, is it really? Agreed. Yeah, and uh, obviously from one end of the game to the other, then side, because of course if that wasn't uh, annoying enough, we had the 94th minute VAR offside call against uh, Danny Ings. I'll uh, admit I jumped out of the couch and went get in there and had to quickly sit down again. But uh, obviously it was flagged by the linesman straight away, and that was a supportive VAR again, but looked incredibly marginal. I think as we've uh, all seen the various screenshots. You know, given where the lines were drawn, side Danny's black armband for uh, John Mortimer. Obviously, we should briefly pay our respects to him as well. And the fact that uh, you know the frame showed the the ball had kind of already left Bertrand's boot. I mean, you know, did, did it feel like a harsh one again, or can you understand why it was given offside? I could understand if it was why it was given offside. 
if the screen resolution and the frame rate was higher to the point where there is no doubt, there is no question, even with such minor lines. But there isn't. There is a there is an issue with the frame rate and the resolution of the images that they're using. It, it's like playing FIFA 2000 is what they're looking at. These pixelated images where the lines don't always appear to be completely accurate. I, I don't like the lines. I mean, going back to, to, to the penalty that should have been probably a red card, when you're reading out the rules, it made it pretty clear that the rule that Mike Dean used was wrong in the sense that if it had taken, look, if it had hit him in the foot and bounced up at hit and hit his arm, which was out, don't give it. But it's it going to hit his arm anyway, enough. wasn't it? It, it was. It didn't deviate. It didn't deviate. The ball, and, and you, nobody could be clear that it deviated. But going to the offside, we benefited from some over the season. I'm sure everyone has with these decisions with the with the lines, but. It's just ridiculous. I, I was saying to you guys before the pod, and I said on Twitter last night, in Major League Soccer, they don't use the line technology. It might be partly due to the number of cameras they have, but I spent some time with Howard Webb out in the States back when we used to be able to leave the house. And he, it works. It, the, the people in the studio aren't allowed, uh, the, in the referee studio, aren't allowed to use rulers or anything on the screen. It all has to be on eyesight. If it's clearly offside, they give it. It's the old kind of benefit to the striker. If they can't clearly see it's wrong, do it. And also last night that that linesman shouldn't have raised his flag. As annoying wow. as this rule is, as the play has to, the play continuing even if it's clearly offside. Just to be, fair, to be fair, the flag didn't go up until after Ings had put the ball. Right. Okay. So he was he, and, was, he was fine on that. I think. Okay. Fair enough. I, I haven't watched any of it back because there is nothing I'd rather do that. <laughs> but, but how can um, he make how can he make a decision that that's offside? Even if he has waited till the ball's so gone, tight, isn't it? You'd have to be Superman with X-ray vision <laughs> to see that that's offside. Yeah. And it, it's just absurd. I know, stupid. I know. Ball, and, I, and I think that's the gear. the thing. <laughs> I think that's the thing. You're, you're right, Simon. I mean, again, I found uh, something today. So VAR uses cameras that run at 50 frames per second, with one picture taken every 0.02 seconds. When an offside decision is being deliberated, VAR must choose the frame which proves with certainty that the ball has been touched. If frame A shows the boot not touching the ball, then VAR must select the next one in which the ball has definitely been touched, but the actual first point of contact will be somewhere between the frames, and in that time, of course, a player can move from onside to offside. We can all see the picture with Bertrand. The ball's left his boot. Danny Ings is offside. Was he actually onside when the ball was kicked? I mean, as I say, Glenn, that kind of just summed it all up, really, didn't it? The evening, you just knew we were not going to get anything from it. Well, you did at that point because it was 93 <laughs> minutes, um, and we, we we've we've glossed over the um, the Romeo looking aggressively at the goalkeeper yeah. incident, which happened on 70 minutes, which is another. I mean, that's that's been an issue for years that you're not allowed to go within 10 yards of the goalkeeper, otherwise he gets a free kick. But the the offs. I mean, I learned something. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. They're now talking about the sleeve. They're now talking about the sleeve of the shirt. It changed at the start of the season from the yeah. armpit to the sleeve. Now, and I think the sleeve is not an act. I don't think it, because obviously if Danny Ings was wearing a long sleeve shirt, he would have definitely been offside. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. just But the, but the irony is, sorry, I mean, that part of his arm, area. that the ball, you, you know, that part of the arm, sorry, that they've taken the measurement from, if you score with that, they'd probably give handball. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but how can you how can you have a, a sleeve as an indicator? You know, we're talking best best league in the world best sport in the world and all this rubbish and we're talking about an item of clothing that if you if you have one that's too big for you and you lean the right way the, the sleeve could actually be below your elbow 
So it, so it can move about all over the place. So how can you use that as an indicator well, I, to I decide think, whether a goal this, stands or not? That's yeah, I, mean, I, I think I think the the term using the the terminology of the sleeve is is kind of a little bit of a misnomer. I don't think. I mean, certainly. I mean, I've just just got the FA wording of the law in front of me, and it says for the purpose of determining handball offences, the upper boundary of the arm is in line with the bottom of the armpit. And they've then provided a little graphic which looks like the um, the mascot from Italian 90. <laughs> how, uh, um, but that's for handball, how, isn't it? How rather low than down offside. does your armpit hang? But the handball and the offside <laughs> work together because it's it's the the point at which it becomes handball that determines where the offside thing comes into into play. Because you can't be off, you can't be offside um, based on a part of the body where you're not legally allowed to score. So that that's it. They're they're yeah. kind of intertwined there. And I guarantee if Danny Ings had scored with the bit that was covered by his arm, you know, his black armband, oh, that definitely. would have been that would have been disallowed. 100%, 100%. So all right, well I'm sure we could talk about it a lot. I think though, yeah, yeah, as I say, everyone will be listening to this thinking, well, we got a dodgy penalty at Brighton where well, we did, but then we probably should have a ha- handball at Fulham as well. So it does feel like Saints are probably due one. But uh, Dan's probably flicking through his slow cooker uh, recipe book at the moment. So let's go back to Dan. Then Dan, look, obviously the other issue for Saints at the moment, VAR aside in this game, is of course putting the ball in the back of the net. Generally, you know, we know about the injuries as you mentioned, Diallo, Walcott, Romeo, obviously. The latter, having just returned, is a bit of a concern. But um, Saints have now failed to score in five of their past seven Premier League games, and uh, they'd only previously failed to score in five of 41. So is a bit of an issue in front of goal. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not sure it was the slow cooker book. After that, listening to you guys talk about that, I had my old maths book out from GCSEs, <laughs> talking of rulers, angles, nice. and all sorts. Yeah, Pythagoras' um, theorem. Exactly. Yeah, I think it is is a bit of an issue. They're, they're just not scoring at a rate that, that they were. The reasons for that, I think... Over Christmas, you could say that the, the squad was thin. Danny Ings was injured. Then he obviously tested positive for COVID after Liverpool. I'm sure there's probably a, a wider piece wider piece out there on the effects of COVID on footballers. Uh, I've not read one yet. Um, so you look at Armstrong. It took Armstrong a little while to get going again, it seems. Well, so Maximan was out for eight, eight weeks. Yeah. So I think that that's definitely got to, to play into it. And where Ralph likes to if he can keep his team the same we saw as, as much as possible over christmas they were just going with the same like as if he could he'd go with the same team they're undoubtedly going to be tired they're not training how they once were i think ralph makes a really good point when he brought it up a couple of weeks ago about they've got all these fantastic facilities at staplewood for recovery like the the chirotherapy chambers the the saunas and whatever but they're not allowed to use any of that at the moment why, why not they allowed why to? not because yeah. of COVID protocols, yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. allowed to use it. Yeah, so I would be amazed if other clubs aren't using them, given how how everybody else seems to be getting most of their injured players back a lot quicker. Mm. Well, I mean, I I'm not going to sit here and say yeah. that Southampton are. They're not. Ralph says they're not. He did, so, yeah, he did um, and I'm pretty sure Simon will probably know more about this than I do. But I'm pretty sure the Premier League send out like their own little private inspectors now, don't they? They just turn up to make sure everything's kind of tickety-boo, everyone's sticking to the protocols. So I'll... Yeah, they do, but but there is a but there is a real, and I'm not saying that they have or haven't, but there is a real disparity with the number of injuries that Southampton are having in other clubs. For example, a Manchester United, who throughout this entire festive period have had a, a knock to Brandon Williams, basically. That's it. And how many players have we... How many players have we lost? Oh, yeah. They're suggesting that they are have have used cryo chambers or whatever the facilities that they they have at the disposal. But something hasn't gone right, and I don't know if that's Ralph's high intensity, the 
just the strains that Southampton can't rotate as much as a bigger side, but it's clearly not it's clearly not going well for us. No, no, something something's clearly going wrong. And I think when oh, I'm sure Ben has been on the same press conferences, Ralph will often say if there's like two or three days in between, it's well, how do you prepare for that? And it's like, well, we don't, we just have to try and recover. So it just seems like they're always on the back foot at the moment. They, and it is hard to make the argument because every team is, is in the same boat. The only thing Southampton may not have is a, a squad as big as some other teams, but everyone had the same sort of preseason. No one was blessed with that. That is going to put them on the back foot. And it is just, it is just bizarre how, the injuries are affecting Southampton more than any other team. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. It's what well, I'm sure the medical guys are doing absolutely everything they can. They're all pretty good at their job because last season it was the opposite. Last season, Southampton had hardly any injuries, if I remember rightly. So it, it's so hard to answer that. I really, I really don't know on the injury front. But in terms of going forward, they've just, they've lacked that creative kind of spark. And we, we, we've come back to it a few times, but and I mentioned it in a piece I did recently where I was talking about how they were way out before, like, you know, their XG was way above what it should be. We are really just seeing that even out, I think. Danny Ings is not going to score the goals that he always scores. The, the goal against Liverpool is probably a perfect example. I mean, how many times out of 10 does he score that? He didn't even look at the goal. It was that good. Prowse is not going to score every every time he stands over a free kick. It's not going to go into the top corner. At the start of the season, it felt like every time he stood over a free kick, it went in. And there's where are the other goals coming from? They're just not, if it's not Ings at the moment, who else? Yeah. That is the question. That They're not there. It's, let's not blame Danny Ings. He's still their top scorer. Shea Adams, his goals have dried up. His assists have dried up. He was dropped for the Aston Villa defeat. So what's going on with him? Has he lost his confidence or did he just need a rest? There are so many kind of different things, different things at play here. It, it's hard to kind of pinpoint one, I yeah. think. No, I think fair enough. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Ralph came out and uh, showed his normal class by not making any real noise or excuses about the VAR incidents and or loss. But uh, you made an interesting point, Glenn, after the game. I think it was on uh, Twitter about Dean Smith whinging last week and getting himself sent off and now getting a couple of marginal decisions in his favour. And uh, I think it's an interesting point, which is why I'm keen to get your view on it publicly. But I think you said that Ralph, quote, could you know or potentially should lose his SHIT would probably serve us better in the long run I think it's something along those lines so you know given we've not had anything since that dodgy penalty at Brighton back in early December do you think that's something that maybe you know we don't want him to turn into a, a moaner or something like that but should potentially come out and be a little bit more honest or you know do you not think that's in his personality and he's conscious of you know we know managers can get fines and things like that for getting carried away as well I, I don't um I don't want to get into sort of conspiracy theories and stuff like that but we as a club are are very nice we're very nice we don't have players who rant and rave and we have a manager who even when faced with what we have now discussed as a pretty big injustice is is quite calm about it and he publicly anyway he's whatever will be will be now we're talking about man united this week because we're playing them next week alex ferguson never did that he lost his rag every time there was any sort of perceived injustice against his side and what happened next? The next five weeks, they got given everything, even more so than, than, than normal. Dean Smith got sent off last week. I mean, to be fair, they were on the end of a ridiculous decision against Manchester City. And he he lost his rag, got sent off. And I even the, the, rule got, changed. the rule got changed. <laughs> um, whereas it's, it's, a very, it's a very Southampton thing. I was talking to someone the other day about what sort of characterises our city. And, it, and it's kind of just get on with it. You know, I think as... as 
Sotonians, if you like, we, we're kind of, let's get on with it. You know, don't moan too much. Let's not make too much of a fuss. And, and Ralph seems to have that about him as well. And I, I just think it makes it very easy for us to be trodden on and ignored. And I, I've, I've always thought that. And, yeah, going back to the original question, if if Ralph had really done his nut, then then maybe maybe something would uh, would be different. But um, we've just accepted it. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you don't want him to turn into a, a bad loser. You don't want him to be like Jurgen Klopp when they lose. He, he's not he's not like that. And and people are how they are. But I, I do wonder sometimes if uh, if maybe maybe one of the players could come out and, uh, and have a word. And OK, it will cost a few quid, no doubt, because they get fined. But I think in the long term, it would probably do some good. Yeah. Charlie Austin-esque rant. Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but every 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 other team crowds round referees when they don't get decisions. Yeah, exactly. Way. Yeah. But we then our captain's of... nice lad as well, isn't he? I mean, that sums it up as Glenn says, Steve. Mm. Yeah. Um... Although he has become a bit more of a house, hasn't he? Let's well, he be has. honest. Yeah. Ask Wilfred Zahar. <laughs> but but that's the thing. We need more people to make that transformation from the nice guy that's been brought up the right way to being on being a competitor on the pitch mm. all the time. Mm. Um, and I don't think we've got enough of them. Yeah. 100%. All right. Well, let's uh, just finish on uh, the Aston Villa game then, because uh, let's go with Simon first on this, and then, Dan, it'd be good to get your view, and then, uh, Glenn or Steve, you can obviously pitch in conscious of time if you wish, but uh, as inevitably happens in football, a run of defeats brings out some frustration towards owners and boards and backing and financial support and all those sort of things, certainly from a few anyway, but one of our patrons, Caroline, wanted to ask, uh, and I think uh, an excellent question here, so um, she sent in, after last night's dreadful referee and VAR official, there was naturally a lot of anger aimed at them the word ambition appeared many times on twitter also accusing the club and mr gow of having none the meaning of the word in the dictionary is quote a strong desire to do or achieve something i believe the club are backing ralph to do exactly that but are once again hampered by the lack of finance available partly due to covid currently and partly due to the owner not having any funds available in this country so my question is what is your interpretation of the word ambition in the context of football is it fair to accuse the club of not having any when they are clearly backing Ralph's project the best they can without any money at the moment? Kind regards, Caroline. Simon Peach, what do you reckon? Well, I think ambition has to be... So my day job is covering Manchester United. Their fans, a lot of them would have exactly the same gripes about their team and they're second in the league through having just beaten Liverpool in the FA Cup. And then Newcastle fans will say exactly the same, but... They've what they lost four games or something or even more before they they won over the weekend, and they have spent money but in the wrong places. I don't think ambition is probably the right word in terms of Southampton are looking to progress. Ambition to me is my ambition is I want to do X, Y, or Z, and I don't think a club like Southampton can be like that because when we finished sixth under Cumin, that was due to the context of other teams being a little bit than usual so we didn't go we're going to finish sixth this season it was let's just progress as much as we can and see where it gets us for Man United their ambition is we need to win the title and ever since I've covered them they've got nowhere near but um, I don't keep covering them that's great <laughs> exactly yeah yeah but I'll tell you what the other when, when they beat Burnley the other day that was the first time they've been top in my five years of covering them at any stage of the season, apart from the even day, even Dan's been top of the table before that, so it was Saints. Yeah, it's true actually. <laughs> but I think there are understandable questions about Gal's ownership in the sense of he doesn't speak. You just mentioned about the finances and stuff. I would like there to be like any fan more money put in into the transfer market. 
but we are trying to run a sustainable club, uh, a sustainable club that doesn't have any money coming in the doors. I mean, where are we getting our money from apart from TV? And we've had to pay a rebate as well on last season. So I think as much as it's frustrating, I hate knee-jerk reactions to every single result. Yesterday, the question is a very valid question, by the way, but the question did start apart from the refereeing and all that and the injuries. So, I mean, that explains how yesterday happened. That could have easily been a 2-0, 3-0 Saints win. If we got the penalty early on, Matty Cash had been sent off. It's a completely different game, and I didn't lose my fantasy football week because the other guy had Martinez in Matty Cash. It is hard in the moment, but covering Man United, I see the poison that comes out. You've all seen it in recent days at footballers going down to... Yeah. Horrendous, despicable, just illogical. I don't think Manchester United's fan base is like that. I should clarify that. But it is easy to get sucked into a knee-jerk reaction and go completely over the top when football is our escapism. It's supposed to be what brings us joy. We've got enough to be dealing with. We can't be dealing with everything else as well when you're watching football. So I get frustrations and everything builds on top of us. But the club is progressing. That's what we need to focus on, I think. We, we should finish mid-table. Hopefully, we'll have a good cup run. And hopefully, fans will be back in the seats by the end of the season. And then there'll be a financial, some financial cushion to help the club build in the right areas. Mm. Yeah, no, good point. So, um, Dan, I'm conscious of time and uh, obviously that sort of thing. But it'd be good to get uh, your brief view as well. You know, you obviously lots of contacts within the Lethic, follow Saints, etc., etc. You know, what's your view on kind of what you think ambition is from a Saints point of view? Well, first and foremost, I have no idea how to, to follow Simon's wonderful answer there. Um, maybe just press rewind and play it again and go times two. Is there anything you say size missed from a Saints point of view? I'm sure there isn't, but anything particular that you, you see or you hear on a daily basis that you think really stands out? I certainly don't think there's a lack of ambition at the football club. They are, they've got incredibly ambitious people working for them. They've got an incredibly ambitious manager. They've got ambitious players. We all know the situation with Gao and essentially knee-jerk or not knee-jerk this football club will not progress forward in a way that perhaps matches maybe the fans hopes when they have someone like Hassan Hutel in charge all the time he isn't willing to invest his money in the club now let's caveat that and say given the kind of political implications in China he can't actually take his money out anyway I don't think but ultimately that the club needs to be sold they've got brilliant people running the club but they can only do so much with the, the balance sheet. It's a club where the, their model is all about buying young, selling, buying young. If you're continuously doing that and kind of selling your, your best players, it, it's always going to be hard to progress. If they can be in a position where actually, no, we don't need to sell you that player because we can offer him a bigger contract. Uh, we can match what you want to pay him. And that they can show ambition that way. They 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 just can't do that at the moment. That that is not on the table for them. In terms of if I was a Southampton fan, it may sound bleak, but first first and foremost, I I think anyone outside the top eight is always kind of eight or nine games away from being involved in a relegation battle. I think staying in the Premier League is the absolutely that should be the number one ambition for every team outside the top eight. Um, obviously, Southampton should do that at a canter this year. But it's then about, well, how do you kick on? And you kick on by an invest it by investing. They've invested in Ralph. They've invested in some good young players. But if you're, if you're expecting kind of 20, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds to come in and from the Belgian League or from League, League 1 in France, it, it's going to be hard to kind of hit that top six level. And that was the point I made in 
uh, a piece I did after, I think it was before or after the FA Cup win, where essentially what is Southampton season going to be now? Uh, I got, in some of the comments, I got some stick for saying that I, I don't think they're going to finish in the top six. Well, they're not because their squad's not good enough. It's not big enough. No. Um, injuries or no injuries, their squad is not capable. We saw how good Leicester are. I know they lost today, but just look at that squad and look at those players. Southampton aren't there yet. Leicester have got owners, fantastic owners. They invest in the community. They invest in this. They invest in players. They invest in the manager. Southampton are as ambitious as their balance sheet allows them to be. And at the moment, without a change of ownership, I just don't think there's going to be a realistic ambition of breaking into the top six. And if they do, it will be because other teams have messed up. And Ralph is overperforming with the players he's got. Yeah, I think it's frust- I think it's frustration from a lot of people because we have been fourth, fifth this season, and it's now sliding away. And people, and the reason for that is because we've had all these injuries, and we're now in the January transfer window, and people are looking at it and just going like they do any other season when there isn't a pandemic. <laughs> They're sort of saying, okay, if we sign a couple of players on loan, we'll be fine. We'll get through this sort of like dodgy period and maybe push up towards, you know, the the upper echelons of the league again. But it, it's it's falling away at the moment. And here we are one day before the end of the transfer window. And, and people, I think people are starting to get a little bit worried that Ralph at some point might think, mm, what what could I do in charge of for someone like Leicester? What could I do if I yeah, was in charge of someone who might... I think that's very might... valid about Ralph. Yeah. That's the main concern, isn't it? Because... You, that's one of your most talented pieces, really, on the table, isn't it? Well, he's yeah. the most important piece, isn't he, in my opinion? It's... But arguably, they've given him everything that he's asked for. You know, they've invested in players which are out injured. I mean, that's not the club's fault. They've, they're investing in the playbook that he wants to do. I mean, all those sort of things. It's, you know, from an ambition point of view, we know he's ambitious, as you rightly say, but it does feel like the club have tried to support him as much yeah, as they can. It, but that's given... the point I'm making about exactly. they're, they're as ambitious as the balance sheet allows them to be. Exactly, well, yeah. I'm sure at the start of January, okay, Let's take a pandemic away because kind of in the January transfer window, please, we please do. in a global pandemic. <laughs> to me, if it was my club and say Southampton had been in around fourth and fifth all season, ambition to me would then be in January, they go and spend, I don't know, buy a couple of players to get them over the line and, and keep that challenge up. Southampton haven't been able to do that. And now look, they're 11th. And they're not obviously they're not far off the, the top eight, but it's going to be difficult. That would be ambition for me, that they've got an absolutely fantastic manager. They have got brilliant people running the club, but their hands are tied. And I think I've used the analogy before. It's almost like having a Ferrari on the driveway, but not being able to afford the petrol to go and drive it. That is kind of, I think, the situation Southampton are in at the moment, that they've got Ralph. Yeah, Ralph is the Ferrari, but ultimately they can't put fuel in it because the money's not there. Well, well, the prob- I think but the, pro- the problem is to... that we're still paying for we're still paying for mistakes that we made two three True. years ago. Yeah, all and, those four focuses we bought. And, and ultimately, yeah. should should it be should it be kind of mandated on on a football club owner that they have to spend their own money? Football clubs should be self-sustaining. It yeah, absolutely, one hundred. It shouldn't be a case that the only way you can compete is by kind of the luck of the draw of having somebody who's willing to basically put his hand put his hand in his pocket but, and not worry about losing million. But don't you have to do that investment first, and then the self-sustainability comes later? Don't you have to to buy those good, you know, those brilliant three or four players 
then you get into Europe and then the revenues go up. Then you get into Europe again because yeah, now yeah, you're generating that, more money. That, that was, that was so the theory that, with Wesley Who. And that was the theory with Leeds United in the early noughties. I mean, you can't... You that was the theory that, that isn't. Oh, I was in year I mean, one I mean, at that point. I'm surprised you're alive. Down, down at Pompey with Guidemac. Um, yeah. throwing all his slightly dubiously gotten money in, in, in on these players. I mean, you, you had Sol Campbell on 120 grand a week when the club's getting 19,000 in the gate. How, how is that ever, how is that ever going to work? Can I, can I just, before, yeah, okay, please, I, I, then we'll just ben, off. Yeah. I can tell Ben really wants to get on. I'm, I'm he's, watching the he, clock ticking around here, but I, no, it's a very, it's that, a very valid question. But, I think, as you say, yeah. but, but what Dan mentioned about, the club don't have the money, which are, out of a pandemic may still be the same situation. We don't know at the moment. But I don't think any club has money to fill up the Ferrari at the moment, if we're going to use that analogy still. Manchester United were top of the league for the first time since Sir Alex Ferguson retired at this stage of the season. So first time since the end of 2012. And they, uh, yeah, they brought in a kid, but that deal was agreed in October. And that kid's going to be the most expensive signing made in England this transfer window at 20 million euros up front and 21 million euros in potential add-ons. And he won't even be the best Diallo in the league. But but no, but who, who is actually spending lots of money at the moment? I mean, Liverpool are looking to buy a Preston defender for £2 million just, just because they need a body. But nobody is spending money. So as much as it's frustrating and it would be great if Southampton could pull money in and get some... Look, we need another fullback. For the love of God, please get another fullback tomorrow. And if that's saying you make the nulls, fantastic. But other than that, it's just you're going to have to make do with what we, we've got and just just pray that these injury issues start to eat. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, there's um, some really good points there. And uh, yeah, Caroline, obviously, thank you very much for your question. This is the Total Saints Podcast. Proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Okay, before we move on to a brief catch-up about the transfer window and our Man United preview, let's have a whiz through the latest TSP Fantasy Premier League standings. Unfortunately for me, as I'm doing embarrassingly badly, but it's all about letting others win, right? Anyway, I received the two trophies through in the post this week, one for our overall TSP Fantasy League champions and one for our TSP-only champion. The current standings then, as of close of business on Saturday the 30th of January, are for the Total Saints Podcast FPL League in reverse order, Fifth is Ben Newton, the pedestrians, 1-3-1-1. Fourth is Dom Keenan, simply Redmond, 1-3-2-4. Third is Ben Brears, flying with Ings, 1-3-3-3. Second is Sam Smith, Royce Coolidge, 1-3-5-1. And first is Chris Astin, Nelson Hotspur, 1-4-1-0. Meanwhile, in the TSP Patrons Only League, it's as follows. Joint fourth is John Fisher, one one eight two. Glenn Delacour somehow is in the joint fourth as well. Hey, on it like Lamina Arsa one one eight two. Obviously you're not allowed to win, Glenn. Um third, Tom Weston, Bednaket, one one eight nine, and second is James Taylor, Gilfy Pleasures, one two two oh. In first place is Tom McCann, McCanchester City. 1281. So that's where we are with everything. We'll have another update during the uh, highly anticipated run-in, but at least that gives you an idea of uh, where we've got to so far in the season. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. 
Monday the 1st of February sees the Premier League winter transfer window <coughs> slam shut. There hasn't been too much going on across many clubs so far. Maybe not surprising with the hectic schedule and the pandemic as the guys were talking about earlier. But should Saints fans be optimistic that the club can get at least one body in before the bell goes tomorrow? Let's see what Dan thinks. Dan? I think there should be an element of confidence. It's become essential that they, they absolutely do bring someone in. Even if that's Simon Peach, as he mentioned on Twitter, that if it, I mean he's better than nobody, isn't he? So yeah, yeah. if they can't get Maitland, not, 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 not sure about that. Solid fullback. <laughs> <laughs> if they can't get Maitland Nars over the line, then I'm, I'm sure Peachy will be up for it. Yeah, I think he um, said he was going to take his boots to Old Trafford. So yeah, yeah exactly. I'll be there. I'll be there. Cool. <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's really important that that they do. The difficulty they've got and it's from the conversations I've been having throughout the month is that there was an expectation that anything any kind of business that would get done would be done late on where clubs are aware of the the squad the the cup competitions they're still in how they're doing in the league etc etc which is why if you look at Brandon Williams I'm sure Brandon Williams well in the summer he wanted to go to Southampton he stayed at United after Ollie said you'll play more and he's not played more I'm sure deep down within Brandon Williams, he'd like to go on loan uh, and play football. But if you're Man United, why would you let him go on loan? Because you're a few COVID cases. You're only a few. I mean, you, he, they could have a, a COVID outbreak and all of a sudden they need him. Or there could be a string of injuries. All of a sudden they need him. And that's the same across the board for, for so many clubs. Now, Maitland-Niles has, has come on the radar. And I, my colleague, David Ornstein, is the one that's kind of leading leading the pack on that story. He knows a lot more than what I do. And he reported today that, that Leicester are possibly, well, Leicester are interested in Maitland-Niles. So then you've got Southampton, Leicester and West Brom. Uh, and it comes down to that. And uh, uh, Orny did a fantastic detail about Arsenal are keen for him to play right back. And Southampton have made that guarantee that if he comes, we'll play him as kind of a, a right back for as long as Carl Walker-Peters is absent. So, that should work in their favour. Uh, David also revealed that Arsenal's preferred destination is Southampton. It, it does make sense. I'm sure Arsenal still see Leicester as a rival, maybe, for the sort of top six places. Whether or not Arsenal will get there, I don't know. But Leicester are, to me, more of a rival to Arsenal than Southampton, despite the current kind of league situation and whatever. So hopefully that works in their favour. I think... The, the club obviously well, he's won. not going to play at Leicester though is he I know well that's it exactly yeah well they've, they've got, got Castagna, yeah Castagna Ricardo's Pereira. back from injury now didn't Castagna yeah. go um, off today though he did but I don't, yeah, I don't know how serious that is but they've got James Justin and they've yeah. got some other kid who plays plays left back as well yeah so they've, they've, they've got, got so many players exactly pullbacks. exactly exactly selfish if anything <laughs> no indeed stop, stop piling yeah. so, so on, a, on a confidence level then Dan just briefly to finish um, out of 100% how confident are you Saints will get at least one body in by uh, the time the uh... well that's cruel that's well no not no it's nice, not it's so. not I I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm 100% confident definitely from what I'm hearing 100% we're going to get one person in surely so Pete you will know all about this so when I make a prediction it will be on some sort of rehash Twitter thing uh, <laughs> I'm going to go 80% 80% that's a pretty high uh, good we'll take that excellent and uh, yeah Steve from a sort of fan <laughs> point of view 80% confident of getting someone in there you go there's your quote for you whoever's picking <laughs> that up so excellent um, yeah and Steve from a, a fan's point of view I mean obviously uh, as we know Ralph's admitted there's no money we know that um, Saints can obviously only take two Premier League loan signings they've already got Theo Walcott so I think expectations are probably that it's just going to be one body um, you know given Jake Vakens has obviously gone out to Sunderland this week do you think it's absolutely key that it's fullback or do you think they might risk it and go for maybe a more an attacking player 
I think it's got to be a fullback because I mean, we've seen the the paucity of options that we have. If anybody else kind of becomes unavailable for whatever reason, um, we now have no other left back. Um, now that Vokin, Vokins has, has gone on loan, as you say, at right back, if Walker Peters isn't there, then I mean, we have two bona fide right backs in Jan Valerie and Kane Ramsey. And yet Ralph decided that he wanted to play Ward Prowse and then and then somehow he decided he wanted to play Musa Gineppo ahead of <laughs> ahead of either of them um last night. So But that was giving I mean, Adam Leach cold sweats after that Sheffield United game last year. Yeah. yeah. I mean if, if that if that doesn't kind of give pointers to certainly to Jan Valerie. I mean Ray, Ramsey's a little bit younger, so he's got a little bit more time on his side, but if that doesn't tell Jan Valerie that he's done at this football club, then I really well, I, don't know don't know what else to tell him at, at this stage. I can't see how Jan Valerie is not going to play on Tuesday night. If all those players that went off on against Villa are, are not available, I don't see how Valerie doesn't start. Well Gineppo against Rashford wouldn't be ideal. Maybe we should do a swap deal with United because the people that watch United still remember him from that amazing goal he scored at Old Trafford. Mm. So the fans seem to think he's pretty good. So if we can hoodwink him and get rid of him Would that be that be a little bit like when, when they signed the wrong Wallace brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. There oh, we go. So, yeah, right. So we're keeping our fingers crossed on a fullback. All right. And uh, Dan, just finally then for this little section, uh, of course, we saw a bit from you uh, earlier this week about Alex uh, Jankovic, uh, Saints 2019-20 Scholar of the Year. And of course, you're one to watch for 2021 as well. Um, a rare, lesser spotted transfer request by uh, all accounts. Um, of course, Jankovic's agent, uh, Menno Grunwald, uh, was also quoted in the Dutch press this week saying uh, he is certainly open to a switch to Groningen. He doesn't play at Southampton. He doesn't want to play 10 20 minute games in the Premier League in the next two years very few boys are breaking through at Southampton at the moment that's why he wants to make a transfer the chances of minutes is not great in England for the next two years quail surprise he came on against Aston Villa obviously Ralph's now talking about him potentially playing against Man United so what do you think the club made of that situation are you surprised by it all do you think it's understandable that he might want to move or do you think the agent's kind of done the job and now he's in the frame to play a bit more I wouldn't necessarily say the agent's done the job but now he's in the frame I'd say it's circumstance i guess you could say the agent perhaps is by coming out and speaking publicly has has done a job in the sense that alex is now seemingly gone ahead of kegs chalker and caleb watts because he was the one that that came on against villa it was a a weird situation really i i I don't i don't know i mean i spent all day so i i kind of had to tip off the the night before whilst i was watching the arsenal game that that this was going on and then I, I spent all day working on it and you're speaking to different people throughout the day and you're just thinking why this this kid is like he's 18 19 he's in such a good place for his development but then on the flip side if he doesn't feel like he is developing here and he wants to play first team football then ultimately you can't blame him for that everyone you speak to does point out how brilliant he is but i think it should be said that why he may be behind the likes of Chalker and Watts is that over Christmas Southampton gave him permission to return home. The B team had stopped playing, uh, so he returned home to, to be with his family, which is that's not a problem whatsoever. However, uh, upon coming back into England, he's obviously had to, to quarantine, and the likes of Chalker and Watts were, were still in and around the squad training, so he was playing catch up to those guys. Now, I don't think it's particularly helpful for Alex's case, and I don't know him personally, but I don't think it's helpful for his case, for his agent to come out and be so public about how how pissed off he is. I don't think Ralph is the type of manager that's going to roll. Can you imagine 
a 19 year old going into Ralph's office and saying, look, Ralph, you're playing me now or I'm going. I think Ralph is very much you're either on this train or you're not. And if you're not, we'll see you later. So I, from Southampton's point of view, I think they see him as someone with 18 months left on their contract. They're happy with how he's developing. The, the feeling I got is that he's on he's on the first team bench. He went away over Christmas and now he's he's already back and he's already on the first team bench. That's not bad going. If he just stays patient, the chance will come. And voila, look, he's now may have a chance to play because Romeo and Diallo uh, are possibly facing another uh, facing a spell on the sidelines. So, yeah, very strange, very strange that Gronigan did express an interest, but from what I'm told, the the offer wasn't necessarily deemed serious. So it wasn't one that Southampton were were looking to consider, and they rejected the transfer request anyway. So. I think their intentions are pretty clear. They want to keep the kid. The agent is obviously very keen for him to get a move. But then all of a sudden, if he starts playing now, yeah, if he starts playing now, then I'm sure they they may change their tune and they may be quite happy that he's at Southampton. He's put himself under pressure as well, though, hasn't he? The agent has has now put Jankovic under pressure because he's now, if he gets selected to play on Tuesday against Man United, so he'll be playing against Paul Pogba and Nemanja Matic and, you know, these world-renowned players, suddenly it's a real put-up or shut-up. You've got to do it. You can't just disappear and get substituted at half-time. You've you've shot your mouth off through your agent, so basically you now have to go and do it. Yeah, so interesting times. I, mean, I, 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 I found, found it odd that the agent would say, oh, um, young players aren't getting minutes. Have you seen our team in the last six weeks? <laughs> it's like under 11, <laughs> sir. It's like... It's just like, I mean, okay, I mean, you may have some some points about whether you feel that he's maybe not as close to the first team picture as you think he maybe maybe should be at at, at this stage up against when you compare him against his peers, so against Watts and Chalker and and, play, and players like this. But I mean, pick your battles, fella. I mean, pick, um, using using the number of minutes given to young players. I mean, at, at the club as a whole over the last well. I mean, for as long as I can remember, any promising youth player has always has always been given an opportunity. And well, he's 19 years old, Steve. Yeah, as, as yeah, you say, ironically, yeah, he was born on Christmas League, Day, so there's an interesting stat there. The barrier required to get into first team football at Southampton Football Club has has gone so high these days. The the fact that he's on the bench and and kind of in and around that scenario is a positive. It's and it's it's ridiculous that he's trying to trying to sort of um, use use that as some sort of stick to beat the club with is is just it's just nonsense hi i'm ricky lambert and you are listening to total thing podcast this past Saturday, 30th of January, would have seen Bobby Stokes turn 70 years old. Sadly, no longer with us, Stokes, he scored the most famous goal in Saints' 135-year history as we lifted the 76 FA Cup. The opposition that day, Manchester United. Our next opponents this season, Manchester United, of course. It's funny how football works sometimes. Glenn, obviously it'll be tricky-looking encounter for Saints, but just like last season, confident we can go out there and get something? Not as confident as it would have been a few weeks ago. <laughs> Man United are, in a, are a team at the moment. They're, they've obviously still got an embarrassment of riches with regards to players they can swap in and out and I think we've discussed before it, it feels like this season they've they've got results despite Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sometimes but he's Seems a bit harsh. yeah maybe that's maybe that's a bit harsh but he you know he, he's he's done well they've they've t- you, you can't deny that he's done well in this in this recent in the very recent past and uh, since we played them last time really they they've you know, they've been on the march. They've ended up top of the league at, at some point. I know they've had a, the last couple of results haven't been great. So they'll be looking to get back on track. 
And with the current problems we've got, you know, it's going to be a difficult game. Apart from the central midfield and possibly Jan Valerie being, I don't know what the, the, the situation is with Walker Peters, whether he's anywhere near coming back. You know, we shouldn't be too bad in terms of the starting 11. Uh, the bench is going to be a crash again. We've just got to go there and give it a, give it a go, I guess. We, we're not, well, I'm certainly not expecting anything from this game. And, and so we can, we can approach it with a, with a degree of, um, degree of abandon, I guess, and, ju- and just go for it. If we, if we get beat, it's, what four league defeats in a row which four is kind of okay but if you get sort of five six seven then it begins to become a bit of a problem so it's 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 a tough game we can give it a go we need everything to be falling in our in our way to get anything out of this game we can't afford any var rubbish um i heard a vicious rumor that mike dean is the referee but i don't i don't, I don't, think I don't that. know if he is i, or I not. don't think it's that's not been announced yet i, I think, think no, right. yeah, they've, yeah, they've exactly. not they've not put the um they've not put the the lists out on on the premier league site and that's usually usually the first place yeah well, I was say, yes, even if he was so i'm pretty some, sure he wouldn't be now <laughs> Yeah, as so long as we some... don't get Dean Stewart Atwell, John Moss, or, <laughs> or Lee Mason, any of the other idiots. Lee Mason. Basically, Mark, if we get Mark Michael Lattenberg. Oliver, we're fine. But other than that, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah. Madley's brother, Bobby Madley's brother, he's yeah, not bad either. Yeah. But, uh, but there we go. But yeah, alongside yeah. Michael Oberfemi's 96th minute equaliser last season, then Saints' record at Old Trafford over the past few years is uh, not too bad. Given for so many years, of course, we pretty much lost every occasion. Now going back to October 2013, it's played seven, one two, drawn three lost two scored seven and let in eight um of course they've been on a, a great run most of the season simon uh, albeit they uh, did lose at home to sheffield united last week as uh, glenn mentioned um you've watched uh, a lot of them so has their form and consistency surprised you or not i'm not surprised so much i felt like the southampton win the comeback win at St Mary's was the catalyst really to the to the run that got them top of the table they I think what's impressive about them is that their their second three points off City over game in hand without actually having played brilliantly. There's not been many matches that I've been at, and I've been at every home game, I think, and probably a third or half of the away ones, where I've gone, wow, wow. Certainly not for a sustained period. But at the same time, they are susceptible. We've started this episode talking about VAR. That Sheffield United loss last week was a lot to do with VAR as well. Billy Sharp pushed David De Gea. Uh, during the opening and then uh, as someone else we touched upon earlier goalkeepers if they anyone gets anywhere near them the referee rules in their favour for some reason so that could have easily been Manchester United win they have lost their way a little bit I guess but tiredness is creeping in like it is for everyone into key players although Bruno Fernandes laughed in my face when I asked him that question the other other week I think (laughs) well he should have been sent off on Sunday Mm. That would have been handy. Mm. Yeah, I think my gut feeling is that Southampton can get something at Old Trafford, purely because the one thing that they really, really don't like is being pressed frantically at the back. If we can start playing diagonal balls over to Aaron Wambasaka, who's positionally pretty basic, is a polite way of putting it, he can definitely be got out. My, my only concern is whether we have the energy in the bodies, because we definitely have the style to get a draw yeah. and if we had the physicality in the and the bodies I think we could win it but yeah they're, they're not as bad you shouldn't be drawing on the Sheffield United result nor should I guess you should be drawing on the fact that they were top a few weeks ago they're just a decent team with very high quality individuals who have had very few injuries have a decent coach despite the PE teacher tag and they've rotated very well through the festive period so all of that's culminating to make them a, a pretty tough team to beat 
But their home record's pretty mediocre, isn't it? By certainly it, by, it their, by their standards, because historically it always used to be well, you go to Old Trafford. If you don't get spanked, then then you've you've done quite well. And they'd go, they'd have seasons where they wouldn't lose at home at all. Whereas now you go to Old Trafford. I mean, you see Sheffield United going going there and winning when they've had when they had what five points before the, before kickoff. So it's not an aura anymore to go to Old Trafford and play. No, and I agree with that. But at the same time, if you look at their, I know this is at Old Trafford, but they're away form. They, they're unbeaten, I think, in 18 league matches away from home, stretching more than a year now. Yeah, I mean, that's just particularly, particularly given how many of those have come from behind as well. Yeah, Probably they've won most. seven matches. They've won seven league matches from behind away from home in the Premier League this season alone. You're right, Steve, about the, the, the home form. They, they obviously got absolutely hammered by Tottenham just before the transfer deadline in October. They lost at home to Crystal Palace. They lost to Sheffield United and they have underperformed in other games. But at the same time, up until that Sheffield United loss, they were unbeaten in the league since November the 1st. So they're good. They're tough. But I think Saints can get at them. So it should be an entertaining match. Indeed. And of course, Solskjaer gave you a bit of stick after the game at St Mary's, didn't he? So I hope if we do get anything, particularly if we win, surely you're going to say he's looking a bit disappointed or something like that. I might do. I might incur the wrath of the whatever they claim, one billion Man United fans, whatever the club claim. <laughs> so it might not be yeah, worth my while, but I'll make go. sure I give them a smile. For those that don't know, yeah, obviously after uh, Man United won in the 92nd minute, uh, I believe, Simon, tell me if I'm wrong, that I think on the Zoom call with you, he said you were looking a bit disappointed uh, and he couldn't work out why. Is that right, tongue-in-cheek? Yeah, um, he he found out I was a Southampton fan when we were in Perth, but again, when we used to be able to leave the house on pre-season tour. And I was showing him photos of me with Egelos and Staten Klaus Lindigvall saying how much I used to love Norway. So I used to, because of Southampton. So funny old world. It is, isn't it? And uh, yeah, of course, um, obviously looking at them then, Steve, just briefly uh, before we get on to talking about Saints. Um, yeah, the, the attacking potential that's there, uh, you know, the Rashfords, the Marshalls, the Fernandes, the Pogbas, the players that we mentioned earlier. Saints are going to need to be uh, concentrating and, uh, you know, strong in defence, uh, whoever's playing back there. Oh, definitely. They've, yeah, I mean, they've got an embarrassment of riches up front. There aren't many teams in the top flight who have got better attacking options. It's just a case that quite often they they seem to be a little bit stodgy in kind of knitting it all together. I think a lot of I think a lot of their issues come from midfield where they've kind of chopped and changed systems, tried to accommodate players in positions that aren't necessarily suited to them. But when when they get the best players in the best positions and they're kind of clicking together. It's a pretty formidable unit. I mean, Cavani, for me, is just an outstanding centre-forward. Yeah, and really. quite how there was so little, both so little fanfare that United had signed him and had got away without paying anything for him, and also the fact that there didn't seem to be anybody else remotely interested in signing him. Um, that might be something to do with the wages in a global pandemic. I mean, I mean, yeah, sure. But there are there are a lot of clubs that would and could pay those pay those wages. Um, not, not, ju- not just in this country. He was totally the difference maker when they played at oh, St complete. Mary's because we we had you know Marshall and Rashford they're they're good players but they're they're kind of predictable in in terms of you know they're quick they've got got a trick about them. Cavani was just it was all about intelligence intelligence and movement. His movement is incredible. He just murdered us didn't he that day? I, I should I should say I was sat behind the Sheffield United analysts who were the loudest people at Old Trafford I've seen this season, I've got to say, for the, for the match last Wednesday. And uh, they basically, their entire tactic was, which is kind of obvious, get Bruno Fernandes off the ball as quickly as possible, focus on how Pogba moves the play. They basically admitted that if 
United did a diagonal ball and crossed it in, they were done for. Mm. So bypass the midfield. Man United's front four, the way they change positions is amazing. But there are weaknesses in that attack that might hopefully, touch wood as a Southampton fan, benefit us in the sense of Anthony Martial isn't in great form. They don't have an out-and-out right winger, so they just kind of put a forward there and hope that they can do something. Uh, and Aaron Wan-Bissaka isn't, just despite being a former winger turned into a right-back, hasn't really mastered getting forward and crossing. Um, I'm sure all of these things are going to bite me in the back. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> guaranteed. Yeah. But Luke Shaw is probably their biggest threat at the moment. And uh, I should also... We should, I should also point, I should say Matt Target, who's obviously a Southampton boy or Eastleigh boy and a Southampton home, homegrown player, did really well last night. And another left back that we've reduced, Luke Shaw, is probably, well, I think he is England's best left back at the moment, should be back in England squad in March. He's been fantastic. He's probably their most dangerous creative outlet because he just runs forward and has a really good relationship with Rashford on the left. It's not so effective when it's Martial. He's surpassed the levels he was at Southampton now, which he hadn't for, for a number of years. Indeed. I was glad that you carried on talking there before Glenn jumped in at the point you said biggest uh, with Luke Shaw there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> as I can imagine. Um, Dan, look, from a, a Saints point of view then, I mean, it feels like the tea lady's going to be in the match day squad at this rate, the way it's going. And uh, obviously Peachy's going to take his boots as well. But uh, I mean, how, how do Saints sort of get themselves up for this? Because it's a, a quick turnaround, isn't it? You know, we know it's going to be a, a tough to try and get a, a side together that can go out there and be competitive. But with three defeats in a row in the Premier League, it's not like you can really call it a free hit either. No, it, it's it's not a free hit by by any means. Southampton are going to want to try and get a positive result, whether that's holding United to a draw or sneaking a win. Uh, I think they are certainly capable of the former. I'm not so sure about the latter. Uh, the The one... And Peachy will know more about this. But apart from that Leeds game, which probably had more to do with how open Leeds are when they play, Man United haven't really managed to blow that many teams away this season. They seem to be quite narrow victories, 2-1s, 1-0s, 3-2s. Yeah, there was the Leipzig game in the Champions League, but that was a pretty strange one as well. Yeah, and I think there was that other game. Who else was it? Uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but they they played that a lot. Yes, I think they blew them away. So if Saints can go there and just get a goal, just given looking at when you look at Man United's home results, and of course they've won a lot of games, but because they're not scoring many, that should most definitely work in in Southampton's favour. It just depends what players are actually going to be on the pitch and how is Ralph going to set his team up? Because as we've already mentioned, the, the squad is paper thin at the moment. The thing they need to fear the most is, as the others have already touched on, is just that the attacking players United have got can hurt you in so many different ways, whether it's kind of Pogba doing something that we all know Pogba can do, Bruno Fernandes scoring a penalty or or anything like that. So for Southampton, I think a win may be difficult, but a draw, I'd certainly see. They can leave Old Trafford with a draw, given the injuries that they've had, the run they've been on. I think that would be seen as quite a good result. Yeah. And uh, just finally, Dan, uh... Obviously, he's not going to be ready for the Man United game, but uh, a bit of a potential boost for, for Saints this coming week as well, because uh, fingers crossed we're expecting the return to training of Yannick Vestergaard, right? Yeah, so fingers crossed. I think Southampton have missed him, not only in defence, but in attack. The relationship, he well, we don't know the full extent. That's not been disclosed on Kyle Walker-Peters yet, but the relationship he's built up with Kyle uh, down the right flank, is, that's been sorely missed, in my opinion. That just offers so much to Southampton's attack but it's also the passes he can play through the middle it they've really 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 missed Yannick Vestergaard and I don't think that's not doing Jack Stevens a disservice because they've still kept a few clean sheets with Jack Stevens in the team but Vestergaard just brings so much more 
than Jack does going forward. So the sooner he returns, absolutely the better. It, 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 imagine, just take... imagine if we were um, sat talking talking about this a year ago, <laughs> and we'd we'd have been bemoaning the fact that both. Uh, Yannick Vestergaard and Oriol Romeo are, are potentially unavailable for a, for a trip to Old Trafford. Thinking, oh, yeah. well, that, that's the difference between not getting involved. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. that's, that's kind of what I was going to say. I was just going to say I should probably do a public apology to Yannick Vestergaard because I mean, this time last year, Leicester was sniffing around him, and I was like, just oh, take himself. Give, mm-hmm. give us a boot about uh, a packet of port scratchings. Any, any consolation, <laughs> Simon? We've all we've all been there. Yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> he, I think I think Ralph deserves immense credit for for coaching him. Uh, Yannick deserves even more credit for knuckling down. And, we've seen other defenders that have come in with a high price tag have thrown a bit of a huff when things have gone their way or criticism have come their way. Yannick Vestergaard has become one of the best centre backs in the league. We're certainly on that period of form before he got injured. He was. So full credit to him. We'll just hope he comes back soon. Agreed, agreed. All right, well, let's finish with some uh, predictions then. Of course, Sod's Law, I didn't go for uh, nil one away win this week. I went for 2 all, and of course it was nil uh, one wasn't it? The same as uh, going for 1-0 at Leicester and then them scoring the 95th minute. So uh, the Prediction League in reverse order at the moment, uh, incredibly, despite all my efforts, Steve Grant has managed to find himself at the bottom of the table now because uh, I did pick up a, uh, a point during the week. But uh, yeah, Steve has got five points. I've got six points in third. Dan's on 11 points and Glenn's still way out in uh, the lead on 14 points. Simon is our, obviously Dan's our weekly guest, but as you're our guest of a guest, so to speak, um, what do you reckon then? I'm sure you're probably going to have to sit on the fence with everyone that's listening to this, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try and ignore the fact that May United have come from behind to beat Southampton 10 times in the Premier League. I'm going to go Southampton to score first, one all. One all, great. All right, we'll definitely take that. Glenn, you're top of the table, so come on, you can go first. Um, For us to get anything out of this... Our attacking player's got to be a lot better than it has been the last few weeks. Danny Ings has shown signs of getting back. Um, I'm pinning all my hopes on the fact we looked a lot better from when Che Adams came on against Villa. Uh, That said, I still don't see enough of us going forward to think we are definitely going to score a goal in this game. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 defeat in this one. Great. All right. I I was going to go last, but I'm going to jump in there because, yeah, unfortunately, I'm much the same. Glenn, uh, I'm going to go for United to win. 2-0 2-0 as well. Um, Dan, you're next in the prediction, Lee. What do you reckon? Well, I was going to go 2-0 as well, but I feel like I'm going to have to do something different. So I'm going to have to go... I'll be even more pessimistic and let's say 3-0 United. 3-0. Oh dear, this isn't good. Better mind I've just said they don't blow that many teams away. Come on. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, Steve, are you going to bring us home in glory or not? Uh, well, seeing as I'm so, I'm so far behind anyway, I might, <laughs> as well, might as well go. For, I might as well go for the Maverick approach um, yeah. and be the only one to get to get a points get points on the board when we um, when we get another two all draw. Two all draw, excellent. All right, well, cool. I, I said one all, but you I, did. Oh, yeah, I'm not You're on not the board anymore. Yeah, but there we go. So. Yeah. So it's Good almost stuff. if you shouldn't have asked me. <laughs> I think this is the first defeat I've predicted this season. It is actually, yeah. You're normally pretty yeah. positive, aren't you? It's just it's like a... Mark Lawrenson predicting Liverpool winning every single game yeah. in five years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Are they... Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings, and you're listening to Total Saints podcast. Well, that's it for this week's TSP. As always, we appreciate you listening to our thoughts and assessments. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Simon for dropping in as well. The four of us will be back next weekend to chat about Saints' visit to St. James's Park and a double header against Wolves. Until then, we'll be keeping a close eye on Dan Sheldon's social media account regarding any potential incomings between now and the close of the transfer window. Wherever you are based in the world, let's keep our heads up, keep flying those Saints flags, and of course, more importantly, keep marching in. 
Days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.